Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase, every day. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. It's my pleasure to welcome you to the Clark Howard Show. Our mission to serve and empower you so you make better financial decisions in your life. In today's episode, the price of used cars has skyrocketed. I have special advice for you if you're in a car lease or a family or friend mem- is. Family or friend is. Also, there's some big news in the jewelry business that'll save you big bucks. So used vehicle prices have gone crazy. Over the last year, according to J.D. Power, the average price of a used car is up 17%. By comparison, the average new car price up 10%. This is unprecedented. You'd have to go all the way back to the era of galloping inflation in the late 1970s ending in 1981 or two. I mean, just freaky weird to see a price of a consumer product as large as a car, as big a purchase as a car is, to go up those kind of percents. Now, this has created a situation that I've addressed with two questions we've gotten over the last two months but I addressed it quite narrowly for those individuals. I need to address this head on. So if you go back to three or four years ago and you leased a car three or four years ago, 36, 48-month lease, and that lease is coming to an end here in 21, do you know that more than any time I can recall ever in the question of leasing a vehicle, you want to, in almost 100% of the cases, buy the vehicle for the residual value stated in your lease, even if you don't want the vehicle. The reason goes back to what I said about used vehicles being up 17% over the last year in price. So, your lease, almost all, will have a fixed purchase price. Residual value is what it's called. At the end of the lease term that you can buy that vehicle for. So if you love the vehicle, it's the perfect used car to buy because you know it. And in most cases, you will be able to buy it for less than what its market value is today because of this run-up in used vehicle prices. So you'll be buying a vehicle that you know the entire history of, you know the reliability, you know how you drove it, unless you're a crazy person or the vehicle's a real lemon. It's great to keep that thing. Take out a note if you need to, if you can't pay for it in cash. 
and buy that thing. Now, here's the odd thing, though. If you hate the vehicle, for the first time I can ever recall saying this is a generally, generally blanket statement, you may be able to score a few thousand dollars or more by buying the vehicle for the residual in that lease, and if you don't want it, turning around and selling it. So that's goofy, isn't it? But the market is going through great distortions today for factors I've talked about recently. So having that vehicle is when you retain is actually the best option. Now, recently I had somebody who asked me after the fact about a deal that had blown up on them. They had been convinced by a dealer to turn in their lease vehicle early because it was worth so much, they would be able to use it to then get another vehicle, and instead they ended up in a horrible new obligation for a new vehicle. That's turning what could be lemonade right now into lemons. You don't ever want to turn lemonade into lemons. You want to turn lemons into lemonade. So what I have said is true for the overwhelming number of vehicles with leases that end this year. But your situation may be different. You may be in a lease where the residual value is abnormally high and the numbers will not support what I've said. So you've got to check to see what the rough values seem to be, Edmonds, Kelly Blue Book, whatever, uh, see what things are listed for on Auto Trader, as an example. And then you're able to have a good sense does it make sense for your lease vehicle or not? Now, if you're somebody who leases just out of convenience, you don't care what anything costs, and you're like, oh, well, I'm only going to make $5,000 doing this thing, then don't make the $5,000 and just turn the lease in. But if you care about money, if you're listening to this podcast. <laughs> Hopefully you care. I was just drawing a stark comparison to try to embarrass people into taking these steps. It's your money. All right. We do have a couple of car questions, Clark. Lita in Oklahoma says, I hope you're, I'm pronouncing her name right. I'm trying to purchase a new vehicle out of state and the dealership sent me a purchase agreement for approval. They have added $499 for auto shield to the agreement and said that it's added to every vehicle they sell. I'm not having much luck getting the finance manager to call me to explain. So I thought I'd ask you while waiting for his call. Why would I want or need additional insurance when I have my own policy and this is a brand new vehicle with a full warranty? Please help. Uh, well, this is what's known as a pack charge. It's where a dealer will promote vehicles at a certain price and then they add on mandatory junk fees and that's all it is. Uh, whatever value in the marketplace, Auto Shield or any other pack has, it should be your choice as a consumer whether you want it. And this is some form of extended warranty, apparently. So this dealer has convinced you that they should not do business with you or you should not do business with them. So you just let them know if they don't remove this charge, you're not buying the vehicle from them. 
and you buy it somewhere else because it's not actually a deal if they told you one price and then the pack makes it $500 more. It's just garbage when dealers do the pack charges. And Brian in Florida says, can I loan my daughter money for a car and she would get credit for paying me back to increase her credit score? No, when you do an in-family loan like that, uh, you will not actually improve her credit score. You could, if the purpose, Brian, is to uh, improve her credit score, you could encourage her to get a credit card from one of the companies that we found to be decent for getting a first credit card. And there are several alternatives now that don't rip you off on an initial card. And I would recommend you look at what we've got for you on that at Clark.com. If the whole idea is you're doing a father-daughter loan here and you're making it possible for her to buy a vehicle she wants with the um, stated purpose, she's going to pay you back that money. You just do that as an in-family transaction and don't worry about the credit score, credit rating implications of it because, well, there aren't any. And Dave in Ohio says, a couple of months ago, I was notified by my employer that someone had filed for unemployment benefits in my name. I assured them I had not filed and they shut the claim down. So I I spoke with a rep from the state and they confirmed the same. Apparently, whoever filed the claim has my social security number. Based on your advice, I froze my credit a number of years ago. My question now in light of this incident is, should I take other measures to protect myself? David, you're do, Dave, you're doing everything you can in this circumstance. And we talked before about how auto insurers may have been the weak link that led to so much of this unemployment fraud that took place over the last year. And there's no way under the law in most states for you to prevent auto insurers from inadvertently disclosing information that a criminal could use to apply falsely for unemployment insurance as if they're you. So doing the credit freeze eliminates most issues of identity theft. Unfortunately, unemployment insurance is one area where the criminals have been able to blow a wide hole through identity protection that you do with credit freeze. And so you're left to mop up after it. And in your case, it sounds like it's less of a mop up than we're hearing from so many other people. This is from James in Florida. CVS and Walgreens have almost every item is marked at buy two for X amount of dollars. Buying one is usually about 25% more per item with a card, of course, so they get your personal info. Most of the time, I only need one of the items, but like you, Clark, it's extremely painful for me to pay a premium for no real reason. So I cave and get the two items. This almost feels like extortion. The only remedy I know is to make the trek to Walmart. I've never heard you address this, but it's so pervasive. I thought it a good topic for your podcast. Now, James, where have you been? As I have said about CVS and Walgreens, they do us all a favor by letting us know what things are going to cost in the year 2041, because everything there costs so much more than it does most anywhere else on planet Earth. So CVS and Walgreens operate on what's known as the high-low business model, where their regular prices are astronomical, but they offer any of a number of specials in return for you being in the 
loyalty program where they do capture all that data on you and force you to buy more quantity of something. So the alternative you mentioned of going to Walmart is a way to save money, obviously, shopping online at other places. And truth be told, CVS and Walgreens have been suffering market share loss because their convenience model no longer is as convenient as it was because there are so many other convenient ways to buy things. And what they're left with is their extremely high pricing. So uh, there's, they're not bad people at CVS or Walgreens. They just charge astronomical bad prices for things. And speaking of avoiding overpaying, there's a new way for you to save big bucks on something with huge markups jewelry. I'll talk about that next. First, the bad news. SAP Business AI won't help you generate Cubist versions of your family's holiday photos, but it will help you understand which supplier is best to help you roll out your plant-based packaging in Southeast Asia, identify the training your junior project manager needs to rise up the ranks, and automate repetitive tasks while you focus on big innovations. So you can be ready for the next opportunity. Revolutionary technology real-world results. That's SAP Business AI. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch, subject to credit approval. Terms apply. My wife has diamond earrings and a diamond ring that were not dug out of the earth. They were manufactured in a diamond factory. Now, nature's work, over millions of years, diamonds were formed and are deep in the earth and are dug out in very dangerous work by miners. Well, now, because of advances in science, you can now make a diamond that is chemically identical to a diamond dug out of the earth. And you can buy a diamond that can be absolutely gorgeous for a fraction of the cost of a dug-out-of-the-earth diamond. There are traditionalists who think this is bonkers. But the reality is the market rules and the price points are much better with lab-created diamonds. And remember, these are not, this isn't like cubic zirconia or moissanite or whatever. These are actual, however you say that, these are actual real diamonds but manufactured but chemically i mean a lab expert a diamond expert a graduate gemologist i would challenge any to be able to tell one dug out of the earth versus one out of a lab the only thing they might find is they'd say well this must be lab created because the quality is too good because they are magnificent now, at the smaller end of jewelry, the price difference 
it may be as little as 30% to 50% cheaper buying a lab-created diamond. For bigger stones of very high quality, the cost of a lab-created diamond may be as little as 10% what you'd pay for one dug out of the earth. And so, one by one, traditionalists have had to pivot. Even De Beers, the uh, diamond cartel, now owns a big lab-created diamond business called Lightbox, I think is the name of it. And Pandora, who's the world's largest jewelry maker, is moving fully to lab-created diamonds. And this is where things are headed. Now, the thing with lab-created diamonds is as they flood the market, the value of dug-out-of-the-earth diamonds and lab-created diamonds are going to follow the rest of jewelry down as used products, secondhand products being sold in the marketplace, they won't hold the value that they may have held before. But it's going to make true diamond jewelry much, much more approachable and affordable for people. And you're going to be able to buy uh, diamonds that are going to be for an engagement much cheaper by a much bigger stone of higher quality for your intended buying a lab created one instead of buying a dug out of the earth one. Uh, you know, people that are younger who may be getting married for, I was about to say for the first time, that was terrible of me. Anyway, people getting married at a younger age tend to be much more um, conscious of the exploitation issue and the rest with diamonds and look at buying a lab-created diamond as a positive for the earth because environmentally it's much better and so that workers are not exploited. Uh, what's that expression, Krista, for the diamonds? Conflict diamonds? Conflict yes, fleet? and blood Free. diamonds. Yeah, so you eliminate all that with lab-created diamonds. Lab-created diamonds, the process of creating them, uses a ridiculous amount of energy, but nothing compared to what's involved with digging them out of the earth. So check it out. But um, here's something for you as a guy. Don't ever buy your intended a lab-created diamond versus a dug-out-the-earth diamond unless you've had that conversation and she thinks it's a cool idea. You wouldn't want to put that ring on her finger and then later she finds out that if her values are different than yours about diamonds, that you got her one that was cooked in some lab instead of dug out of the earth. Or vice versa. You find out her values are not your values, right? Yeah, that you, go, you go buy her uh, dug out of the earth diamond when she would have much preferred having... <laughs> A lab-created diamond. Is that the vice versa you meant? Well, I was thinking if someone, if anyone doesn't want a lab-created diamond and it's more important to them to spend the money, I don't know. You have to decide if you have the same money values, right? Now, you're a traditionalist, though. How would you feel if... Oh, no, I think this is fine. I'm not a traditionalist at all with that. Nope. I think lab-grown, like fake, save the money 100%. But they're not fake. Well, I know, but you know what I mean. Not dug out of the earth. Okay, 
We got some questions. Mike in Idaho says, we would like to travel to Italy in the fall. So would I. I know, wouldn't we all? (laughs) Assuming, of course, they're open for tourism. When would be the best time to shop for airfare? So I'm starting to see a parade of really good deals to Europe for the fall. Uh, Really starting mid-August and beyond into the fall. And let me tell you what's behind this. The airlines that fly all these European routes are desperate to bring in some revenue. And so they're posting these fares for flights they don't know if they're going to fly or not. Aspirational flights, if you will. And you would like to travel. So it's okay to go ahead and buy, if you see a really great deal to Italy for fall now, it's okay to buy it as long as you can live with the terms and conditions about what would happen with your money if either the airline doesn't fly the flight or you choose later not to fly or Italy chooses not to allow us in when you'd want to go in the fall. So this is, I call it the junk bond equivalent in the travel industry. You might find a great deal, but it comes with hazards. As long as you can live with the terms and conditions of what would happen with your money if the trip does not take place in the fall when there's a great deal by it. And I want to talk about great deals. So Google has one of the best tools in the business to track fares and get alerts at google.com slash flights. And so you're able to see what is up right now. And they'll give you, if they have the data for your various departure airports you might consider, they'll let you know um, what's available and how it compares to historical averages. And there are also several alert services now. The biggest of all, one that I talked about recently visiting with Scott Kyes, who founded Scotch Cheap Flights. But there are several of these now where you can get alerts from airports you choose when there are hot fares to different places in the world. And Scott's, like the others, has a freemium business model with a basic uh, fare alert system you can get for free and then a subscription-based when you want all the deals they have and you want them fast. So either of those ways, you'll be able to find deals to Italy. So what are good deals for the fall? Generally, from the East Coast of the United States, there are fares in the 300s. And as you move across the country, fares in the 500s till you hit the West Coast, in which case you're looking for fares to Europe in the 400s for the fall to be a great deal. Bruce in Utah says, Clark, I know how you feel about cryptocurrencies, and I agree 100%, but I have teenage sons who can't stop talking about Doge, Dogecoin uh, and, how I al- <laughs> and how I already could have made tens of thousands if I'd just invested a small amount a few weeks ago. How can I convince them that buying cryptocurrencies is closer to gambling than investing? Bruce, as I've learned, <laughs> trying to talk about this to my own teenager, There's no chance. You know, this is, uh, in their world, the idea long-term is a month. The idea of long-term investing does not really exist in their mind. 
And it's all the rage to talk about this cryptocurrency, that one, the other one. I mean, think about Dogecoin. It was all a joke. And now it's got this enormous value when it was launched as a joke. It's almost like a spoof of cryptos. So this is not real investing at all. And I think that this is a case where your teenage sons are going to have to learn in the school of hard knocks. And when they want to open an account and they want to own crypto, let them learn. Uh, Just as long as it's not money that they would need for school or something like that. And that's how you do learn is people, when they get into a mania and they're convinced that the mania is real, you got to let them make their own mistakes. No different than if it were somebody calling us about some multi-level marketing thing that you're going to dare to be rich and be worth a zillion dollars. Sometimes people just have to learn the hard way. And I think that's true with teens and 20-somethings about cryptos. Having said all that, Bruce, the idea of cryptocurrency is a legitimate idea. It's just the way they have existed so far in implementation is defective for the purpose that they are intended, which is as an alternative currency being things that gyrate wildly in value, that is completely not the concept and what it should be about. And I want to tell you, I really appreciate all of your reviews of our podcast. If you get a chance, please share this episode with a friend if you think he or she would want to hear it. <laughs>